Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for meditation this morning comes from Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. We read, So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. For even before the law was given, sin was in the world. Now sin is not charged to one's account if there is no law, and yet death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a pattern of the one who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like Adam's trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment that followed the one trespass resulted in a verdict of condemnation. But the gracious gift that followed many trespasses resulted in a verdict of justification. Indeed, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, it is even more certain that those who receive the overflowing grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will become righteous. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate on the riches which you won for us through the work of your Son, send your Holy Spirit to help us understand what we have read and give us an ever-increasing faith in who you are and what you, Jesus, have done. We repent of the trespasses we have committed. We have overstepped the bounds you have laid and are so thankful that instead of letting us die for our sin, you came to do something to save us from judgment. Amen. Dearly beloved, have you ever thought about what it would be like if you could meet Adam? Adam was the first man created, not born, created with the faculties of reasoning and the capacity for emotion, with language. You know, he, he was planted in the perfect garden. He got to name all the animals. What would you ask him if you could talk to him today? Would you ask him how he came up with all those names for the animals? Or would you ask him where the garden was located? That's a contentious topic today. Or maybe you would ask him how it felt, what it was like to be thrown out of that garden, that perfect garden that was made for he and his wife, to be thrown out of that garden and have an angel with a flaming sword set at its entrance so that they could never return. See, Adam had to deal with the guilt of ruining the lives of all mankind. We're told he lived for 930 years. 930 years that guilt would have weighed on him. 
And now Adam and Eve, they had a promise. God promised that he would send the Messiah. And while the serpent would strike his heel, the Messiah would crush his head, restoring everything that they had lost. It's possible that Eve thought their first son, Cain, was the Messiah. Cain sounds like the Hebrew word for uh, acquire, to acquire. And when, when Cain was born, Eve said literally, I have acquired a man, the Lord. How much joy they must have felt to be the first to bear children. They would have experienced a lot of firsts, if you think about it. They would have been the first to grow food from the ground and see those sprouts come up and en enjoy the, the hard work of, of, of working on the ground. And they would have been the first to uh, establish a household and, and see their children grow up and acquire the use of language. You know, who knows, maybe even dad, uh, Adam was the first to crack a dad joke. But they would have been the first to laugh and the first to cry. And how confused and frustrated and saddened they would have been when they had to bury their son Abel because Cain murdered him. None of us can know the confusion and challenges that Adam and his wife experienced having to navigate this life as the first human beings. But we know that God never intended for brother to kill brother or for there to uh, be uh, diseases in this world or, or for man to be born with a twisted and corrupt sense of morality. And he did something about it. God sent his son. Paul, in our text for today, by inspiration of the, of the Spirit, compares what Adam did to what Jesus did. He says that one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, and one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. Life-giving justification for all people. Another way of saying what Paul says here is that all that the first Adam lost in the fall, the second Adam restored in himself. And more, eternal life in heaven. Looking at this text, when Paul's writing it, it's been a few thousand years since Adam. We're not sure exactly how long, certainly not millions of years, but a number of thousands of years. And well, this is important because some people like to say that humanity is continually getting better and better. And, and with our advances in technology and engineering, we'll be able to overcome those problems that face us as human beings. Might be even able to solve problems of, of death itself and disease and strife. If we could just live in peace together. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, in Paul's day, we know that there were some really nasty diseases. Uh, in the Bible, we hear of diseases like leprosy, 
And while we're not sure exactly what modern disease that tracks onto, we know it was bad enough to alienate people from their community. Some kind of flesh-eating disease was very contagious. If we look at the Roman Empire, maybe some of you are interested in history, they have some amazing feats of engineering. Aqueducts to bring fresh water to the people, miles and miles of road, some of which still stand today, to increase trade and wealth in their empire. But the Pax Romana was only peaceful for the victors. And mothers lost husbands and, wa- and children when brothers fought against brother. And it was death that ushered in the Roman Empire. Paul also had to deal with some terrible guilt in his life. You know, thanks to Adam, he was a sinner from birth, but it wasn't just hereditary guilt that he dealt with. It was actual, personal guilt. Paul had a terrible pattern of behavior before he became a Christian. You know, Paul spent most of the first half of his adult life persecuting the church. It all started at the stoning of Stephen when he gave assent to the stoning of Stephen. And then from there, he went on from synagogue to synagogue, advocating for the rejection of this Jesus. The one who they said was the fulfillment of all of Moses and the prophets. Paul had to deal with the consequences of Adam's guilt on his own soul the repercussions of Adam's sin on the world around him and the guilt of his own sins. Well, let's fast forward to today. Has the world gotten any better today? Well, it depends on where you look. You know, we have our cars and we have interior plumbing. We don't have to go outside to use an outhouse, and and we have heat and food. We can just go right down to the market, right? But what about those big issues like disease and death and strife? You would think that with all of our technological advancements, with all of our scientific institutions, we'd be at an edge. But I know I don't have to remind you of just how difficult COVID has been for everyone, for the nation. You'd think that with all of our scientific advancements, we'd be able to at least predict something like this, and there are institutions made for that purpose, but we were powerless against it. In the same way, you can pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have your head or your body cryogenically frozen in the hopes that maybe one day science will have the answer to bring your body back to life, to resurrect you. But that's not going to happen. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment. And how do you think we ended up as polarized as we are today. 
All you need to do is take one look at our society to see what's happening. We're turning politics into a religion. People from both sides of the aisle are adhering to their ideas with a dogmatic determinism. And what I mean by that is that that one side on the far right has a strong cult of personality where they're willing to overlook some of the major problems that that one man has in the hopes that he can help the nation. And on the other side, on the far left, we have an ideology full of doctrines. Doctrines like original sin, which in America is racism. Full of their people that have unique knowledge that by virtue of their ethnicity or standing or experience, that if you even say something that uh, they don't agree with, like you say, I'm looking at the same data here, and I want to help people just like you, but I think you're going about it the wrong way. You know what that is? That's heresy. And I'm speaking apolitically here, folks, because you know what happens when you turn politics into a religion? You look for salvation in politics. And friends, if you think the answer to our peace, security, or wealth or well-being as a nation depends on who's in office, I would urge you to think again. History does not bear that out, and neither does the Bible. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. So also death spread to all people because all sinned. This is what the first Adam lost. All of this, the life that was ours, the health that was ours, the peace that was ours. Well, friends, Jesus came into a world where there was political strife and there was death around him and diseases and he came for you. Jesus came down from heaven to take on human flesh, to experience the pain of our sinful world in a very real way. Since he was human, he felt the pangs of hunger when he went without food. His feet got calloused when he walked. He saw people cast out by society because of their diseases. And he brought people back to life who had been overcome by death. But he was not overcome. None of those diseases that afflicted the people he came into contact with could overcome him. In a sense, when he healed those people from their diseases, he took those diseases on himself. And since he is God, they had no power over him. And so they were healed. He could do this since he is God. Since he is God, he could live a perfect life under God's law. Without ever worshiping the idols of power or money. He didn't come to start a war with the Roman government and usher in a new era of peace for the Jewish people. No. He came to finish a war with the devil. A war that had been started in the garden 
Satan deceived Eve into taking that fruit. And Jesus deceived the devil into thinking he could overcome him, when in reality, he deceived the devil and gave up his life of his own accord. By doing that, he ushered in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is here, what unites us today. Jesus is king by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection. I tell you folks, it's not a democracy. It is a monarchy. Now, he has guidance for us living as citizens of heaven, wherever we're at in this world. But his kingship transcends boundaries of ethnicity, race, culture, or political disposition. In that sacrifice of the unblemished lamb, in that one righteous act, Jesus took on the punishment of Adam and of Eve and of Paul and of you and of me. One righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. He came to restore all that the first Adam lost. He did it for Paul. He appeared to him on that road to Damascus and gave him a new life, a new heart, and a new purpose to go forward and proclaim the truth. When we get to heaven, we'll get to meet Paul. We'll get to meet all of our loved ones who have died in the faith. And we'll also get to meet Adam. What will you say to Adam when you get to meet him? I guarantee you won't ask him what the garden was like or what it was like to have to bury his own son. When you get to meet Adam, there's one thing you'll say to him. You'll say, come, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together because just as Adam will be enjoying the restoration of peace and health and eternal life, so also will each one of us be enjoying that same restoration that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We'll continue with the prayer of the church.